Hi, and welcome to a special episode of the TechCrunch podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington. Yesterday on Friday, we had a Twitter space discussion with a number of TechCrunch writers about Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter and what comes next and about what we think are the biggest questions that remain about his ownership of the company, about his understanding of social media, about the products that Twitter offers and how they line up with Elon's vision for the future. So please enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a TechCrunch news space. This is not affiliated with any of our particular podcasts because we have a motley collection of nerds gathered to discuss what has happened to our favorite social gathering round, Twitter. Uh, you may know why we're here, and we'll get into all that in just a second, but first, the crew, and going by clockwise order on my screen here, uh, Daryl, hello, thanks for being here, and say hi. Hello, it's great to be here. Uh, maybe it's the last time we'll be here. No, no, everything's gonna be fine. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I think everything's going to be fine is gonna be the summary of this, of this discussion. All right, next up, we have uh, Taylor. Say hey, as she drinks water. I nailed that timing. Hello. Excellent. There we go. All right. Next up, Anita. I haven't seen you in like 24 hours. How are you doing? Yeah. Well, you just roasted me two minutes ago, Alex, but I'm doing well, uh, all, regardless of that. <laughs> when in doubt, do the roasting before we start recording. And then finally, but certainly not least, Amanda, say hey. Hello, go Phillies. Hello, go Phillies indeed. <laughs> uh, if you don't know that reference, it's about baseball, an American pastime in which people stand around and eat. All right. Let's hang out and talk about what's going on. And we're going to start with a summary, Daryl, of the current situation. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm good at this. I'm good at summarizing. I'm actually pretty bad at this. So let's see how this goes. But you volunteered so, to do it. <laughs> I did volunteer to do it. And then I thought about it later and I was like, wait, this isn't my job. So this is the story to date, but this is not the full story. This is just the story of the last week, to be clear. So Elon goes into Twitter's office in San Francisco with a sink. That's a key plot point in this whole thing. And that was just literally for the joke. Uh, let that sink in, which we literally let this man carrying a sink in. So that's all that was, apparently. Now, after that, he there was an article that was like, okay, good, Elon's taking over. But guess what? Maybe advertisers will ban on the platform, which is important because that's how they make their money. So he issued this statement where he was like, remember when I said it's going to be like a free-for-all and everybody can say whatever they want? Well, yeah, but also not horrible things because i still love advertisers you the people who will hopefully recoup some of my 44 billion dollar investment um again not his entire his money but a lot of his money is on the line right and then he closed the deal and that was yesterday hard to keep track of time at around 6 p.m pacific and yeah he was there and then he fired a bunch of people immediately that was like hand in hand with him or with us learning that he closed the deal Alex, you have a point to make, I think. Oh, I, I was just curious if anyone wants to throw any other details into that summary of the insane last 48 or 72 hours. I'm not even done, Alex, but go oh. ahead, Anita. <laughs> One thing Dear I'll Lord. add is he, he did fire some people, but not as many people as he said he was going to fire. Right. Originally, it was supposed to be like some 75% of the company. Um, seems like it's some execs, but there's yeah. a little bit of there's, lack of clarity There's plenty there. of time for him to fire those people. We're not saying that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone I mean, is everyone is very stressed about about what he's going to do with the company, but um, I think it's yeah. hard to say how soon. He immediately happen. he came in and cleared out leadership, which is not like an unusual move. It was just how quick it happened, and kind of it was a very Elon way to do this. But CEO Parag Agarwal is gone, CFO Ned Siegel is gone, General Counsel Sean Edgett, and Head of Legal Trust and Safety Vijaya uh, Gade, and yeah, all at the same time basically. So after that. 
we find out he intends to crown himself as CEO, probably based on reports, at least initially. Now that might not last. It seems like he's probably going to want to install somebody, possibly one of his cronies. We don't know. And then the New York Stock Exchange makes all of this official in a way that is backwards from the way that companies usually do list, but is also very like normal for Elon. We get this SEC filing that says, guess what? It's, it's going to happen November 8th. It's not going to be a public company anymore. It'll be, it is right now currently officially, you know, his public company, but it won't be listed anymore or his private company. And then uh, the EU is really fast to be like, guess what? I know you said that it's going to be time to free the bird, but also you mean within the constraints of the law of the EU, which governs your platform, your fun is already, you know, qualified, let's say. After that, he responds to some people in his mentions who are like, oh, is this great? Can I continue to do the trollish things that I have con- have been doing? And they say yes. And Anita has a point here to make. Yeah. One thing to add about the government stuff is I was reading that apparently the U.S. government is also investigating the deal for national security review because he has a bunch of foreign investors who have supported, um, including Prince Al-Walid of Saudi Arabia. Yes. He has so many entanglements. And we'll probably get to this later. I know Taylor has thoughts on this when it comes to national security, international political relations, that it's going to be a big mess. But the last thing I'll say, I'm, I'm summer, ending my summary, but he has now said that he's going to form a content council to make and review these decisions regarding who comes on the platform and potentially who gets kicked off in future. And Taylor has just covered that for us. So that's where we are right now. I'm looking at TweetDeck. I don't see anything else immediately breaking. So I think that's a good summary of where we're at. But uh, yeah, there you go, Alex. All right. Well, I want to talk with surprises because the last bit of that story did surprise me. Nothing up until that point was too shocking. The lame meme joke, kind of standard. The firing of executives, a little quick, but still kind of how that tends to go. But the Content Moderation Council was a surprise. Um, Amanda, I'm curious if you expected him to essentially delegate authority in that way, or if you thought he was going to be more direct and hands-on? I feel like we have to wait and see who is on this council, because it could just be, like, a bunch of Elon's um, ideologically similar buddies. And he did say that he wants it to have, like, various different viewpoints, but, like, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. I think with everything with Elon Musk... It's hard to take him at his word, and it's hard to say whether this council is going to be effective or a complete mess when we don't know who's on the council. Yeah, Taylor, I, I feel like you had some some thoughts on this point as well. Oh, I, I sure do. Jump in. I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, will the council even happen? Maybe, maybe not. Is there a council already? Yes, of course, the company already relies on a council to advise its policy decisions as every major social media platform does. There's literally already a content moderation council that convened in 2016, was expanded in 2019, going into 2020. Um, But, you know, something we learned that was sort of alarming about social platforms during the Trump era was that a lot of policymaking comes down to an individual at the end of the day. And he certainly has a lot of ideas about things. Strong ideas. How are you feeling about those ideas, Daryl? I mean... I don't agree with most of them. Let's just say it. But <laughs> well, they've also been kind of all over the place, right? Like there's so many different things and it's kind of hard to discern what's actually going on and what's not. And to that point, actually, Taylor um, just brought up to me separately that apparently the White House said on Monday that these reports that the U.S. was actually mulling national security reviews of some of Elon Musk's deals were false. Ah. So 
it's hard to even separate fact from fiction here, let alone all of the different ideas that Elon has, you know, put forth about the platform and what he's going to do. Yeah, Taylor uh, can speak to this as well. And so can Amanda, because we've been doing a lot of the untangling of what is real and what isn't with this deal. And it's not straightforward at all. I mean, the big example that just came up was the... <laughs> Amanda, do you want to describe this? Because I don't understand the joke. Me and Alex have already shared so, publicly that we don't understand the joke. Or we do now. We do yeah, now. I do now. I just did not when it mattered. I mean, sadly. it's it's not even a joke so much as... I mean, it is very in line with the Elon Musk brand of humor, even though this wasn't even Elon's joke, but it feels on brand. But so um, some people were posing as Twitter employees who were laid off walking out of the Twitter office in San Francisco with boxes. How but, did they get in in um, the first place? Well they, well, they just walked out. Like, they, like this was happening outside. So, like, I don't know. Um, I guess these people were pretty convincing and duped some reporters, but one of the people uh, said that his name was Raul Ligma, and Ligma is, like, a 15-year-old boy joke where, <laughs> <laughs> like, the joke is Ligma who? Ligma balls. And oh. uh, so I was curious how you should open with that, that joke. <laughs> it was very elegantly <laughs> explained. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is my my job security. My value add to TechCrunch is that I understand memes. <laughs> You're our Ligma reporter. Senior Ligma reporter. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, given how, uh, how prominent Elon's uh, various business choices have been to our coverage in the last six to 12 months, Amanda, I think you're the only person here with ironclad job security because it seems yeah. to me that memes are increasingly <laughs> important to business reporting, which is not the way things started off when I was reading, you know, the Wall Street Journal before it had any color in it. Like, I mean, things have really taken a turn. I'm not saying for the worse. I'm just saying things are, are different. Yeah, I mean... I, I already tweeted this joke, so I'm just repeating my tweets, which makes me the worst person in the world. But um, the, my, my joke is that I knew today was going to be a pretty bizarre work day, given that the deal closed last night. But I didn't expect that I was going to be on a Twitter space explaining Ligma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is going to happen on the regular now, so. Yeah. It's just Yeah, I mean, even with, like, the, the let that sink in joke. I mean, like... I'm very fascinated in a morbid way about Elon's choice in memes because it feels like all of the memes he posts are like five years old. So to speak. <laughs> like, like the, the let that sink in meme, I think like I tried Googling like pictures of because it comes from there was a picture of a sink outside of the door. And then when people say let that sink in like on like dramatic threads then people would post the picture of the sink and the joke is let that sink in the door so he was making a bit about that joke but that's like a five-year-old meme and i was like researching it the other day of like when did this meme come to be and it's not a new meme memes have gotten worse let's bring back the classics i finally agree with elon on something i, <laughs> yeah, I, mean... I i'm here for it i these like remember make, when make the memes like, great again fried? Make the memes great again. We went through Ugh. the deep fried meme thing back in like 2018. Like, let's go back to the old times. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're all tired of that uh, spirit Halloween meme that's going around, but it's seasonal. Um, my hot take aside from the memes is that I don't think I'm leaving Twitter. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, no, we're all going to leave Twitter because Elon's going to run it into the ground. And I'm not saying he's not going to run it into the ground, but... I don't really think there's an alternative. It's like, are we really all going to use Mastodon? No. Like, 
I, I'm not going to use it. Well, and the other question know. is, like, does he even have time to run Twitter into the ground? Like, I feel like he's had all these big plans. He said, <laughs> OK, we're going to turn it into like X, the everything app. Like, what is he actually doing? What do we does anyone have any thoughts on like what we think is actually feasible in terms of changes that he might implement? Well, he's leading a number of other companies simultaneously. So like how much it just depends on how much he's interested in turning this into a pet project, which right now it's like where his attention is. You know, he's trying to get Internet points by running Twitter and making certain people happy with maybe the decisions he's going to make. Um, uh, being so, the, the chief twit. Yeah, we'll see if that lasts or not. You know, it's totally possible he'll make like kind of the visible decisions or like tweet about, you know, his influence at the company and other people will be running it. It's possible that he will micromanage and lay 75% of people off. Like lots of things are possible at this point, unfortunately. The pattern that he's shown with his other companies is that he he has a weakness, which is also his strength, where like all of his power is essentially located in him. Like he's not really known as a lieutenant's person. And the one example is, that comes to mind of somebody who is like a strong lieutenant for him is Gwyn Shotwell. But like she runs shit well over at SpaceX when he's not looking in that direction. He's very much a Sauron persona. And it's like, you don't want the gaze of Sauron to turn upon you because then it's going to be shitty for a little while until he's distracted by something else, right? So I think the attention span is going to be a big part of what happens here. Distracted by something else, like uh, his, his staff members, perhaps. Yeah, like trying to impregnate oh. a staff member. Exactly. That could come up. That stuff takes time. IVF is actually very time consuming. I, I I recently learned that earlier this year. It's a whole IVF is a part time job. So by many itself. jokes. So many jokes are presenting themselves. So I'm just with, walk with away. your wife and not an employee. <laughs> Walking away. <laughs> Said this was PG thirteen, guys. Yeah. <laughs> So my hot take actually echoes what Amanda said, which is that I'm not I'm not leaving Twitter, but it's for a much pettier reason, which is that I spent too much time building up an audience on Twitter that I'm too lazy to restart somewhere else. Like, I'm not going to go. I don't even have an Instagram account. Like, what am, where am I going to go? There's no there's no place that's like as as built for how my brain functions. And Twitter has not had always historically strong leadership at the top. I think it's fair to say. So maybe it just kind of limps along and doesn't change much. That's, that's what it kind of feels like today, just given the amount of work that it would take to fire everybody and then rebuild the org. I mean, I'd rather make rockets, frankly. Well, I want to pose this question to all of you as journalists, you know, something that I've been turning around in my head. How do, how do we all feel about the content moderation piece of this and the fact that he's probably going to reinstate some of these delisted accounts? Like, is that a good thing for free speech or is that like something we don't like? I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So... Companies are allowed to set moderation policies for their platform. Like the, the free speech debate has nothing to do with the individual actions of a single corporation because it's not a common carrier. And if you recall that phrase, you remember it from the net neutrality days when people were trying to argue, I think fairly, that ISPs should be common carriers. And it was decided by the same people that are now calling for Twitter to act like a common carrier that they were not. And so there's, there's some weird political history coming to play here, but Twitter is allowed to set its own policies by the law. And unbanning some accounts is not a win for free speech. It's simply a tweak to a corporate content moderation policy. And we know Elon's still going to have one. So all you're really saying is those people that were so mean they got booted, I'm glad they're back because I think they should have amplified speech. It's not a free speech question. And framing it that way, Anita, even though I adore you, I, I think it puts the, 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 the ball in the wrong court sure, that's, and that's gives fair. extra credibility to people that don't deserve it and their viewpoints. She's trying to bring out the hot takes here, Alex, but uh, I know Amanda had something mm -hmm. to say too, so I want to hear her thoughts. I feel like we've been saying the same thing since April when all this started, which is that 
it's unclear what people really are talking about when they say that they want quote unquote free speech on Twitter because yeah. in Twitter's current content guidelines, the things that are not allowed are like inciting violence against people or like general things that are like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Like you can't like attack somebody for their race most of the things that you can't do on Twitter, it kind of begs the question of, like, when we talk about making Twitter filled with more free speech, does that mean, like, okay, now we're gonna, like, attack trans people? Because I think, like, something that has come up um, in some of these debates is that Twitter does have a, a guideline where it's considered, like, violative, violative of the guidelines if you knowingly dead name a trans person. And so it's like, are we fighting for Elon Musk to be able to dead name trans people? Like, what's really at stake here? It it really baffles me. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like the things that are already banned are pretty extreme and things that probably shouldn't happen on the platform, in my opinion. Yeah, Taylor, do you, you got something to add I here? Think, no, I think it's definitely fair for us to all be like, of course, that's extreme dead naming trans people. Like, you know, we're all on the same page with that being really unacceptable. But I would definitely... Um, emphasize the fact that content moderation policy and most policymaking in general is has a lot of interpretation. So like, you know, we might take that as a given, but a different set of people might not think that at all. And like, we might really strongly disagree with them, but I suspect that that would be nowhere near the top of the list of Elon Musk's concerns about maximizing free speech on the platform. Like what he really means is people should be able to do stuff like potentially spread misinformation, you know, like, you know, <laughs> dubious medical information, all kinds of stuff that he sees as overreach in Twitter's policy. And I think there are really big concerns here for misinformation. And we're about to see that get put to the test uh, with our midterm elections, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, based on the examples of the people that he's been replying to already, like that's what, if you go and you look through their search history, they've just spread like awful, totally false, untrue things about COVID, right? And, you know, in one case, it was about like how COVID uh, vaccines are being distributed to target racial communities and it's like what like this is it's total conspiracy theory nonsense right so i think the free speech argument is a weird one because i can i'm i guess old enough now but like i can remember using the platform at a time when most of what i saw that came across my desk that was like oh i don't know how i feel about this was like people who were um slightly conservative and i was like i don't really want to see that i'm going to unfollow you or mute you but at no point did I ever think like, I debate their right to say that thing on the platform. Whereas now it's like, oh my God, like you should probably go to a jail, I think, for what <laughs> you just said. I, it, like, and, the, and then, and he, like all the examples that he seems to bring up are like, I don't, I, I don't think that should be allowed on the platform. I don't think that should be allowed. I, again, this is, a, I'm from a nanny state, so you have to forgive me. I'm from Canada. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it doesn't pass muster in any kind of like common sense evaluation that I can think of. But anyways. So yeah. Miranda just sent an interesting question from uh, the audience, and I will read it to you all and see if we have thoughts on that. Given that social media platforms are struggling for returns, has Elon seen a potential that no one else has spotted for the future? If so, what does the panel think the opportunity may be? So bring it sort of back to the business business questions and, you know, may, this maybe even relates to, to some of the layoffs and the plans that he's had to create cash flow. <laughs> is there some unrealized potential here? I, I think there is. I mean, I think that I think it's a fair exploration. I, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, for somebody who is as wealthy and as able to generate 
capital and like secure additional capital as Elon is. And for someone who has historically been able to kind of bounce back from even great losses, right? Like he's, he's essentially wiped out and then restored his fortune at least once, maybe a couple of times. I, for us, I mean, for us, we are, we are undeniably attracted to this platform. I think everybody on this call, except maybe Taylor, probably. <laughs> I don't want to speak for <laughs> It's been but, a long, a long uh, period of slowly backing away from Twitter. Right. But it, but it's, there's something there. There's potential there. Right. And it is, it's always been the question of like, how do you, how do you turn that into a sustainable business? So I don't think it's impossible. I don't know whether Elon is particularly well positioned to bring that out. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I was excited by the Twitter Blue stuff that was going on before this all happened. I'm a I signed up for Twitter Blue immediately. I, I never wanted an edit button, but I just wanted to support the platform where I spend most of my time. And I mean, thanks to Twitter, just kind of backing up Daryl's point about us loving it. Like I've been on Twitter since 2007, I think somewhere in there, and I've done hundreds of thousands of tweets. I've deleted a couple hundred k just in in batches back in the day, but uh. I wonder if there's actually that many of us who like it to make it big enough to earn back its purchase price at the current market valuation space. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't actually think that's going to be possible um, unless things change dramatically in the public markets. He might do a great job of turning it more into a subscription product, maybe change the advertising makeup so it's more attractive. Maybe. Maybe there's some good stuff there, but there's a lot of gap to make up. And I wonder if that's going to be possible, especially if he's trying to balance his personal politics with uh, what advertisers want because there's a free speech versus moderation debate there that does impact the business results. Well, and it seems like from a business perspective, the first move has been to just sort of announce these layoffs and cuts rather than thinking about like longer term ways to actually grow revenue. I don't know if, um, you know, you'd agree with that, but I, it's like all of the other ideas that he's brought up have been pretty moonshot and the layoff seems like the most tangible aspect of the strategy so far. What do you think about that, Taylor? I would argue like a lot of the ideas he's put out are actually either A, things Twitter is already doing, or like B, products that already exist that he just didn't notice, products or policies, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, Twitter, I mean, he, he thinks Twitter blue, like we saw in, in his text messages, Amanda and I slogged through <laughs> all of them, or all the messages that got published in Discovery, but we saw that he, Good times. you know, he thinks the subscriber product is terrible, but he wants to do something with creators, monetizing creators. It's like, this is already happening. Twitter, after a long period of stagnation, started introducing new products really quickly. And actually, a lot of them are interesting. We're using one right now. Um, and now he's going to kind of point to that stuff and be like, oh, you know, hey, I came up with this idea. Let's see it through. And it's like some of that stuff is already in the works. Also, when we talk about like changes in who is working at Twitter, it is important to point out that right now, all we know is that those four executives are gone. There's been a lot of misinformation around, you know, Raul Ligma, our best friend. But... <laughs> I think what we're talking about when we allude to these layoffs is that um, there was rumors last week, I think, that Elon Musk planned to lay off 75% of Twitter's staff. And then, of course, if you're somebody working at Twitter, that news is going to be very concerning to you. And then Elon was like, no, that's not true. But like, I mean, who knows? I think even as early as I think in June, he did some kind of video call with Twitter staff. And he had said that he probably would leverage layoffs. He has leveraged layoffs at Tesla already. It seems likely that that will happen. And I think then you get into the question of like, if you have to significantly cut your personnel costs in order to move toward making some kind of profit, like, is that the greatest thing? And as Taylor said too, like, 
we're already doing creator stuff on Twitter. And I think the problem is more so like, I don't know if there's really an incentive for people to pay to see better tweets from people on Twitter. Like if you're a super follower, I think it's more so just maybe if people really like a tweeter and want to be like, hey, here's $5. But these things are already happening. And I'm curious to see Elon Musk's plan for the creator economy, but who knows? <laughs> well, I think in a way, like part of the reason why the layoffs have been sort of at the forefront of this conversation is because he almost like doesn't have a choice because he's gotten himself into the situation where he's super over leveraged, like he's taken on all this debt and he, he's got to turn that around quickly and he's got to find some way to cut costs. So and again, it sucks that like rich billionaire being like haha lol what if i bought twitter means actual people losing their jobs because he made a bad offer and then tried to get out of it and did not succeed at getting right like very much it was a a thing of his own making yeah Yeah. that's actually a question we had from uh, somebody in the audience here which is with the decline in ad revenue across the board uh in social companies meta snap etc do you foresee problems with him making his debt payments which i'm curious about in this I, I did write a piece yesterday about this same issue happening at YouTube, where YouTube posted a 2% ad revenue decline. And I talked to creator economy experts about, is this something that is concerning you? And at least from the people that I talked to, they were kind of like, well, we saw ad revenue declines, like when the US first went into lockdown with the pandemic in March 2020, and then that rebounded. And then Now there's another level of hesitancy because of the looming potential recession and also impacts of, like, not advertising in Russia to a certain extent. So I don't know necessarily if this is the end of ad revenue, but I don't know. I mean, I think that in general, it's been a big topic in social media that do we want to have an ad supported social media and then end up in situations like Facebook where it's like political ads abound and we'll just, I don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting time to explore alternatives to ad supported social media, but I am not too convinced at any of the potential options so far. I have to go in a second, but on on, on the debt point, I just pulled up Twitter's last earnings report that we're probably going to get, which was Q2 of this year. And their uh, operating cash flow was only about 30 million for the same period of the year ago time. It was 382 million. So the company does generate cash. So the question is just how much can you amplify that cash flow to handle coupon payments on, on quite a lot of debt. Uh, And that's where the layoffs do come in back to our earlier point. But I'm surprised that Twitter wasn't generating more cash, frankly, Mm. uh, given its, its scale and kind of history of occasionally being gap profitable. Uh, Wow. This is an uphill (laughs) This is going to be an uphill uphill slog for, for, for the man. Good luck. And I also think even though layoffs initially save you some money on paying people, the reason why companies grow and hire more people is because then when you have a bigger staff, you can do more things and doing more things can make you more money right. to, to be really obvious about this all. So it's like, can Twitter even reach the profits that Alex mentioned if it has... 25% of its current staff. Well, he's just going to use Tesla engineers to build all of Twitter's products. But then, but I, I also don't get that. Like, I, I know <laughs> no, you're kind of joking. Can like... Elon leverage employees from a public company for his private enterprise? There's, I mean, he doesn't have, does he have voting control at Tesla? I don't think so. 
I just double checked that. But I, I wondered the legality of, of, of him having public and private buckets, some of which are wholly controlled, some of which are not, and shifting resources between them. And he's gotten in trouble for this before. If you remember the Solar City deal, there was, there was some backlash about that yeah. and how investors were uh, treated effectively by, by his machinations. And like, to be clear, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I like business, so I'm not, I'm not opposed to a fun deal. Uh, but I, I am curious to see people complain on the Tesla side that they're being dragged into his um, quixotic uh, social media push. Um, but with that, guys, I have to bounce. Adore you all. I will see you on the other side. Thanks, Alex. Bye. Well, now that we have lost Alex, I'm going to steer the ship and close this out by asking about what's next for Twitter. And this would be a good question for Alex. Too bad he is leaving. But <laughs> my personal question is like, what happens when you have a situation like this where a company that's been public for a long time is taken private? How will that impact Twitter going forward? It's been good for some companies. It was really good for Dell, mm -hmm. for instance. Uh, but the circumstances were dramatically different in that case. So, yeah. Well, and this is, you know, it's just an interesting time and an interesting circumstance because usually with like, you know, a company going private, like you don't have to make as many disclosures and, you, like it kind of gives Elon a little bit more leeway to do things in the background without having to report to the public. But at the same time, there's just so much public scrutiny on this deal and what Twitter is doing that it's going to be hard for him to avoid at least some of that. Yeah. Taylor, what do you think is next or hope is next or hope that is not next? I don't know about the public private thing. I think there's a lot of questions there, especially because he's somebody who's known for kind of like sharing resources between companies in potentially shady ways. He's done it between SpaceX and Tesla before, and yeah, that's a public-private yeah. uh, barrier, too. Totally. There's like there's definitely precedent there. Um, I just think the whole thing's going to be a slog. I think he thinks it's going to be like this fun project that, again, scores some internet points. And I think, you know, he's going to run into the reality of like, Twitter might be a relatively small company and it might not be as successful as like it could be, but it's also a place where like every world leader is issuing news. You know, it's like a, it's a very prominent platform in spite of its shortcomings. It's extremely prominent. So it's like, we're gonna run into so many thorny issues just right away. And he's gonna be slogging through like regulatory environments across the world. I mean, it's like a nightmare in a lot of ways. Um, so it's just gonna be a total mess. And I, I, I do feel bad for the folks who work at Twitter who are facing all of this uncertainty and who've done important work, especially in, um, in policy, interest and safety areas. Like I think, you know, some of that might get unwound and that's gonna be really unfortunate to see after the company's made some progress in recent years. Yeah, I think I'm most excited to see, I mean, this is not a Twitter question, this is an Elon question, but he famously talked about production hell for, for the Tesla Model 3 and how that was like just one of the most excruciating periods he's ever gone through. And I want to see in a few years how he compares that to content and speech moderation hell that Taylor was just referencing as he parades around and visits all of the various uh, Senate and legislat legislative bodies and has to explain like, what he's doing and what he's not doing. <laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine great. him getting called into a hearing? Like, you know, I mean, we've seen Jack Dorsey in a oh. lot of hearings. Like, will he show he doesn't have any respect for, you know, That's regulatory true. entities? So is he just going to be like, no, I'm, I'm busy, actually. It's cool. <laughs> I'm very, very wealthy. <laughs> I am very much uh, looking forward to if Senator Blumenthal is eventually going to question Elon Musk. That would be highly entertaining who knows that, that just sounds like i don't know i'm i'm a weirdo and i sometimes enjoy watching senate hearings because they're just so bizarre but you know i'm not looking forward to that because that sounds <laughs> like wait a minute i thought about <laughs> it <Hold on>. no. <laughs> wait one second um and then anita do you have any final thoughts on what's next for twitter 
Well, one thing I'm interested to watch is the whole theme of decentralization. I guess, obviously, as uh, you know, the resident crypto reporter here, there has been a lot of traction in the decentralized social network space. But I want to see if that just ends up falling out of the discourse completely. You know, it's interesting because like Jack Dorsey has been this big proponent of Web3 and he's kind of the, the one passing the baton to Elon in this situation. Um, I guess Jack Dorsey said he was going to build like Web 5.0. Like we, we skipped number four. We went from three to five. Kind of confused about what's going on with that. But, um, you know, just I, I was reading like people's funny takes on the situation and they were like, well, you know, the only people who actually use Twitter are like journalists and crypto bros. And I, you know, live my life at the intersection of those two <laughs> groups for better or for worse. So I will definitely be curious to see if the themes of decentralization that Elon Musk has talked about and that a lot of the crypto community has been like avidly hoping for actually materialize or if that was just sort of a gimmick um, that he used to, like Taylor said, score Internet points. Yeah. I hope that the Phillies score more baseball runs than Elon <laughs> scores internet points. That's how we are going to wrap this up, I suppose, by um, me putting my own agenda at the forefront, which is um, Philadelphia sports teams winning stuff. <laughs> Nobody's here to censor you, Amanda. You no. do you. Yeah. Yeah. I, free speech. Uh, free... I'm going to report free this speech. speech. I don't know about this Phillies thing. <laughs> sports ball all right well read techcrunch.com that's all i oh, got yeah, to say check out all the stories are pinned to the top of the space go through read them check them out they're all great be sure to listen to the podcast too right anita your podcast yeah yeah uh, chain reaction at TechCrunch. if you want to hear about all things web3 but i was just gonna say please please stop uh sending amanda messages asking what's going on with elon and read the articles on techcrunch.com exactly. instead oh, man. you know i feel like this is more a, an at at my personal friends who are texting me like hey what's going on with elon and i'm like <laughs> you just send spend, them the I links all day explaining it just go read it <laughs> Yeah. You're my yeah, friends. <laughs> you know, it's like as much as I get trolled on Twitter by people that disagree with me, no one trolls me more than my actual friends. Uh, but we also <laughs> should mention this will be in a podcast too. I think it'll be in the equity feed and also the TechCrunch podcast feed on Saturday in case you want to re-listen or, um, you know, in case you're just catching the end of this and you want to hear what we said at the start. But uh, be sure to check those out. So thanks very much, everybody. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.